0: Welcome to the eSport Trust podcast. The eSport Trust is a children's charity working to ensure that every child enjoys the life-changing benefits that come from playing sport. From this series of podcasts, you can expect to hear from experts in the industry, colleagues at the YST, and people who are out on the ground delivering in a variety of different ways, through roundtable discussions of hot topics, behind the scenes at some of the events that the YST put together, interviews with various people working in the field, as well as masterclass podcasts, listening to those that have been successful and exactly how they got there. But before we start on that, we've got a special offer to tell you about. We'd love for you to join our YST Podcast Club. By being a part of our club, you'll receive a monthly newsletter which offers advanced access to upcoming podcasts, recommendations on other podcasts you might like to try, and extra bonus recordings, and additional content that we're not sharing with anyone else. If you'd like to join, simply go to www.youthsporttrust.org forward slash YST podcasts and complete the short podcast club form. The link's also in the description of this podcast. Happy listening. My name is Sarah Harnett and this week we are hosting a roundtable discussion about the experiences of LGBT people in PE and sport which coincides with LGBT History Month, which started on Saturday the 1st of February. We hope you enjoy. First, let's have our guests introduce themselves and we can dig in from there.
1: Uh, my name is Jamie Hooper. I am Sport England Senior Equality and Diversity Manager and I lead on uh, our LGBT plus inclusion work as part of that remit um, with uh, a bunch of other bits and bobs as well. Um I say I have a day job and a gay job, um, and I'll come on <laughs> to that probably a bit later as we as we kind of get stuck into stuff, probably. That's intriguing
2: in
3: itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Leo West. I'm a student in um, Kegs in New um, I work with horses and for a lot healthcare currently.
4: And I'm Lisa. I am an LGBT plus advocate, consultant and trainer, and I work um, with... Huge and um, diverse um, organisations, really, and um, helping them as they for the LGBT+ right? inclusion. So it might be charities and small organisations in the first sector, um, through doing consultancy um, with kind of larger corporations, or doing a lot of kind of frontline work with schools or colleges, um, and diversity. Um, so. Yeah, I'll probably talk more about that as we go along as well. I think that's absolutely fun. Obviously, it's a conversation developed. Today we're we're having a conversation sort of as like mentioned in the intro around grassroots sport and the LGBT plus community and, and their involvement in that and the challenges and, and our own experiences. So I guess almost let's start off with some sort of personal stories from you guys in terms of are you involved in sport and what does that look like in in terms of um you yourself or people that you know what have been successes and, and challenges in that
1: I guess I can pick it up in terms of um so my day job initially is, is as I mentioned leading on uh, some of the LGBT plus inclusion work that we do um so that's pretty broad in its approach from um kind of uh, managing investments into some support organizations trying to support all of our uh, kind of traditional sport delivery partners like national governing bodies and active partnerships, um, as well as, um, kind of, uh, funding and working with specific projects and programs that are running across the country. Um, it's a massive privilege for me to be leading this work as, um, an outgamer and myself, um, In my personal space, I play for an LGBT plus hockey team in London, um, and I also volunteer with a charity called Out for Sport, who uh, represent all of the LGBT plus sport clubs in London. Um, We've got some sport awards coming up soon, um, or we may have had them by the time this goes out, Um, and it's really exciting to see what um, what we're trying to develop uh, with those clubs, particularly um, That is, I guess, the intersection between my day job and my gay job. But we we see some interesting stuff in practice in London. Um, But it's great that there's some really good um, and amazing inclusive places for some people to be playing sport and physical activity um, where they may not have had the opportunity before. But I think there's also still some challenges within that as well. Um, The fact that uh, some of that sport still needs to be separated from more mainstream provision the fact that some of that sport isn't particularly inclusive for some people within the lgbt plus spectrum um so it's interesting for me to kind of be able to look at it from a, a policy perspective but seeing it kind of out on the ground as well
4: yeah i mean as a participant just <coughs> just as a person interested in that it's an lgbt plus club or team mm-hmm. is there a, you know a, my i guess my understanding would be that everyone on that team identifies
1: No, not everybody. And what we're tending to find with some of the the bigger clubs in London um, is that because they tend to be inclusive, welcoming spaces, um, they are starting to attract straight members and allies alongside that um, because of the atmosphere and uh, the kind of the nature that that is, I'd say generally, probably a bit more inclusive and welcoming than some other places. Um, That's some of the feedback we're getting. But that may not be the case for everyone, and that's yeah. stuff we're we're working on across kind of um, diversity and other intersections, and um, there's always a bit more to do to make sure that we're inclusive, genuinely of everybody. Yeah,
4: and was it was it a personal decision mm-hmm. to go? I'm going to go for an LGBT plus um, club over. a club that might not
1: identify in that sort of sense uh yeah I've played sport for years I played sport uh in school I was out through school I was quite lucky that I was fairly good at sport so I guess I kind of use that as an excuse to say I probably had a bit of an easier ride than some people maybe do um I've played club hockey for years I'm actually an international umpire so I've been involved in the top level of uh elite hockey as well um I was lucky enough to go out to the Commonwealth Games in Australia, um, where I represented Wales as an official there, and I've always been out through that, and I've written about it um, and my experiences, and I've always had a really, really positive experience. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, I like to represent that side of the story and yeah. say that sometimes it can be great and it can be really positive. But I'm very aware that for a lot of people, it's not at all. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about some insight we've got coming up later and we get more stuff into school sport. Um, but for me, it was more about that's just where I had mates and that's where I went. Um, I had friends there. Um, that was uh, kind of where I found a nice place to be um, and it just worked for me, really.
4: Yeah. And Leo, your story around sort of sport and, and taking part was quite interesting. Are you happy to share that with
3: them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, through primary school, I was involved in multiple sports, including cross country, athletics, football for the school and for um, my area as well. Um, I was always a very athletic student. I mean, it was always the one that would do any sport that was available. Um, that again helped me um, in my future with bullying and, and stuff like that because everyone would um, appreciate me being on their team because I was always good at most sports that I was faced with. Um obviously high school was a bit harder when I came out as a as a FTN trans guy. Um bullying was quite a big thing throughout my school life but especially when I came out, um which school kids can be mean. I expected it. Um sport really helped me um, with my own mental health and dealing with bullying because people weren't nasty to me mm. when I was actually participating in school. Um but the changing rooms were more the problem for me. Um because I'm a straight guy and I had to get changed with the, the girls because I couldn't get changed with the boys. And uh, like just as I came out um there wasn't anywhere for me to get changed. Mm-hmm. So it made a lot of people feel really uncomfortable and that's where a lot of problems for me came in school. Um, More from
4: the changing experience and yeah. participating Yeah. Experience.
3: Because as soon as we were on the field or anything, it was fine, like there wasn't any problems. Um, it was just the changing rooms and I felt more uncomfortable, I think than than most people in that situation, because I wasn't going to do anything to people knew it was just the fact that there was this trans person that's attracted to to girls that was getting change with them, and it wasn't normal for them yeah um and I was the only person that was out as trans at that point in school, and the school had never experienced that before themselves, so they didn't know what to do mm-hmm. um you, Lisa, came into my school and, mm. and spoke to them, and that didn't really resolve a lot. No, so
4: um, I suppose for people who are listening, they don't necessarily know <laughs> who I am, so before I started my own sort of LGBT plus advocacy consulting training business, I worked for three years on a BBC Children's New Project supporting trans and binary young people, and Leo was one of them. I mean, and, 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 you know, it was the, and I love my, my own business now and I love that I still get to do it, but it was the best job I ever had because actually there were some things that I tried to sort of, the advocacy side, trying mm. to support you and your family that it was hard. Like sometimes you just pick up the phone and, and to a school or whoever it was or a youth group and talk to someone on the phone and then things would improve and would be fine. But yeah. I think with a lot of the professionals in your life, with you know, without being disrespectful were Particularly, they pushed back up on, mm. on it a lot through, you know, your GP surgery trying to, um, you know, get you a new passport and things like that. There was real pushback mm. through, you know, mm. to your school and stuff. Just not, not really knowing quite what to do. Mm. And then I think there was probably some underlying, quite a loaded word, dare I say it, but kind of prejudice there mm. and actually trying to kind of tackle some of that. Um, and I think from my experience with work of working with so many trans non binary young people and being able to kind of and um, be an advocate for them and support them, so many professionals. There's, there's so such a big difference between people who just don't know what to do, mm. and that's fine because they might not have ever done this before. Yeah, um, supporting a, a trans non binary young person, whether that's in a sports club, whether that's in a school, wherever it is, not knowing what to do, but asking for help, not knowing what to do, finding some of the kind of inclusion toolkits online that can be really beneficial and kind of going with it with positive intention is, is fine. Yeah. But then the people who really pushed back and kind of said, absolutely not, they can't need to talk, they can't need to change rooms. You know, some of the teachers, not your teachers, different time, said to me, oh, there are other vulnerable girls in there. And I tried to get them to talk about what they meant. I asked them, you know, I said, what do you mean by that? Mm. And they just wouldn't own their own prejudice. Yeah. They just wouldn't own it. They couldn't tell me. You know, I was like, so what you're saying is that this young person is a harm student. So i like, well we're not saying that. But you know, there's vulnerable children in there. Mm-hmm. And trying to you know trying to get people to think it through yeah. and give them that voice. But actually and it wasn't everyone, some people were brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like we'll move on to some point to best practice. But some of it, the real pushback, the fear, the um I don't know, like just the concern of the, the trans non binary student being in some way a risk factor to other kids or the school community is when there's not evidence there for it. I think is, you know, appalling, yeah. really. And I'm um, actually, I was looking up, I always get stats confused in my brain because there's so many, which is good because we actually have research and evidence now around LGBT plus people. Um, but it was something like in the Stonewall School report in 2017, 19% of the students reported being bullied in changing rooms. Fourteen percent during sport and ten percent in toilets. Trans and non-binary students, and actually probably any young person of difference, is going to be more likely to be bullied in that space than they are to be the bully. Now, I'm not going to take positive discrimination to the max and say that all LGBT plus people are wonderful and brilliant and that they never bully anyone and that they they never commit a crime and they're perfect. I mean, no, not that. <laughs> but but actually, there is a lot of Oh, trans and non binary people are, and even, and we're talking about, sometimes we're talking about little kids. I mean, are you okay with me saying your age? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Leo's 17 now, and at the time when I was supporting you, you know, you were 13, 14, Mm. you know, and as much as you were a teenager and you wanted to be an adult, you were were still a child. And some of the, and with a lot of the other young people that I was working with, the stuff that some of the professionals in their life were saying about toilets and changing rooms and, you know, their risk factor to other kids, and I was thinking, but there is no evidence that this child has has or is going to do anything that's inappropriate. Yeah, and also your like I think your understanding and other kids your age, without being too doomy-goomy, yeah. like <laughs> you know young people understand that they understand that these professionals in their life that are meant to have their back and fight their corner and help them to thrive in a sports club or in a in a school environment, you know, actually think that they're in some way harm, and that is. You know massively damaging. Really. Considering
1: I, uh, my job is to get people physically active I seem to spend a lot of my life talking about toilets. <laughs> yes um, I was which literally. Is, it's just so bizarre but I, I totally understand um why we get stuck there and why it's, it's such an interesting area for people to try and get their heads around. Um I don't want to delve into that too much because as I've already implied I talk about it a lot as it is. <laughs> um, one of the other things I was going to say about um, some insight we've got coming out um, uh, that uh, it's across LGBT plus participation, it's the biggest piece of insight we've ever done. Um, uh, I can't remember the exact stats, but essentially every single identity that we pulled out from within the LGBT plus spectrum, every single person had a horrible school sport experience. I feel a bit bad saying this in Youth Sport Trust offices, um, but I think that was probably the same for most people. Nobody, I don't think many people look back on school sport and say it was the best time I ever had, um, especially those people who are probably more so exposed and marginalised than others um, in an area that you are physically exposed a lot of the time in, in changing room spaces and depending on what sport you're doing. Um, but also the nature of kids just being a bit... Nasty sometimes, but if you're good at it, as Leo and I both said, you might get away with it, yeah. which is just so bizarre in its in its own nature.
4: I mean, I guess on that, you know, if, if there's a if there's a PE teacher listening to this now, and maybe not so much a community coach, as I mean, I I coach in the community, and a lot of our players come pre changed already. Um, but obviously, if you're in a school, you have that change in room scenario. You know, where can people go to? to find, you know, if someone's in a situation now and there's a young trans person in their school, what's what's just sort of like quickfire advice? Because we don't want to dwell on it too much. That might be a podcast further down the line in terms of really going into that. But, you know, if someone's in a situation now where they've got a young trans person in their school and, and they're facing that challenge, what's the, what's sort of like quickfire advice as it were? Ask them.
1: So I was just yeah. going to say, everything that we're producing around um, the support in this space, we have got some trans inclusion guidance coming that's um, aimed very much at grassroots inclusion um, and kind of facility operators or people who are providing sport and uh, physical activity opportunities. And that guidance is purely based around two fundamental things in terms of good customer service and inclusion best practice. Mm. So as much as this guidance is aimed at trans people, it's going to benefit everyone because it just talks about those two fundamental things and essentially saying, have a bit of a chat, see what you can do and just be honest about it. Let's see what you can do to support. If you can't do that, can you do this? As you would for disabled people, as you would for people with certain faiths to provide um, a more inclusive, welcoming experience.
4: I think... For me, there are, of, of all the young people that I've supported, it isn't it isn't a one size fits all approach, which makes it really hard. Which is why I think the person centred stuff is so important. But I also think you know some of the young people I worked with, you know, like Leah was like already involved in sport, wanted to carry on being involved in sport. Um, you know, for some of the challenges that you had, it also brought you great benefits. There were some young people that you know weren't particularly physically active, weren't particularly interested outrightly said to me, I did not put this on them, said, I'm rubbish at And <laughs> um, You know, I don't know whether they were or not, but they just didn't want to participate. Um, but for those that did, sometimes they'd say, right, I'm happy to get changed in the changing rooms of the gender that reflects who I am, right? Some would say, although I absolutely want to use the toilet of to the gender that reflects who I am, I am far too scared, for whatever their own personal barriers and challenges were, around getting changed with, with my cohort, where I do feel I belong, but actually that, that's just too daunting for me. Um, you know, I've got um, I've experienced quite a lot of gender dysphoria around, around my body um, and my own well-being, and that's too much for me. So I think sometimes it's really hard because teachers who tend to be a, a, a professional body, who actually have hardly any free time, uh, are very, probably very stressed and are very, very busy, the not having a one-size-fits-all approach to supporting trans and non-binary youth makes this harder mm-hmm. because it isn't, it's not, oh, the school down the road when they have a trans student, they do this, so we'll do it as well. I mean, that's great because the positive intention's there, but your student might not want to get changed with the girls even though they are a girl. Yeah. They might want to get changed in a separate space, but then there's potentially some safeguarding issues that come with that, and I don't know if you want to talk about your experience with it.
3: Um I was speaking to a few people that I used to go to um to school with and changing room experiences that I've experienced that I don't remember because they've been bad to the point that I just don't remember. And it got it got to a point for me where apparently I'd just wait until everyone else had left before I went into the changing rooms mm-hmm. and then I'd get changed and then I'd catch everyone up mm-hmm. as they went wherever they were going.
2: Yeah.
3: Um And I don't know exactly what had been said or what happened or anything like that, but it it just got to that point for me. And I'd have much rather my school came and spoke to me about what they could have done as a school to make myself feel more comfortable and other people. I was a very vulnerable child at that point. I was 13. I'd just come out as trans. I was suffering with a lot of mental health problems. Um, I was really struggling and school really added to that with not talking to me. They they didn't talk to me. It was a case of my parents went in and said, this isn't okay, what can you do about it? And I wasn't involved in that, which I'd have preferred to have been because obviously it was me that was having to get changed in that. And it was decided that it was best for me not to do sports. Like, do PE and stuff because it was. I was doing my GCSEs, um, so the opportunity for me to go and have them hours where I'd normally do PE, I could go and do a different subject that contributed towards my GCSEs and my education, um, which really put me in a bit of a worse place, really, with my mental health because I really enjoyed sport, I found it was a good. Um, place to be able to release um, any any anger, sadness, anything like that. So for me, not to do um, PE, even just two hours a week, was quite de- detrimental to my mental health.
2: Okay.
3: And since being at college, I've picked up a bit more sport again, um, and I, I have a multi gym in my room that I use now. And but obviously with college work and and working two jobs and everything like that, it's it comes as a sacrifice of something else. So I don't really have time. Mm. Um, after I have top surgery in January, um, I plan on doing a lot more because then I can go and get a gym membership because I'm not going to have as much dysphoria around my chest and, and I'm going to be able to do a lot more because my surgeon said, like, if I get too big now, as the muscles stretch, this the scar tissue won't look as good. Um, whereas if, if I stay... A bit smaller now. this the scar tissue will stretch, and it will look a lot better. You've it got that wise. aesthetic side yeah. as well. But yeah.
4: it, I mean, it sounds as though you're, the, the key bit here sounds as though the the sport and the physical activity isn't the um isn't kind of getting in the way. It's actually just the getting ready for it. Mm. So actually, you know, like you've said, and I think you know probably everyone around the table has said that. Sport, physical activity, as we know, does wonders for your mental health. And if you are part of a minority, mm. therefore quite possibly feel more stress or more, um, you know, negative emotions coming your way from others and prejudice and, and lack of understanding that actually having that hour or two through PE, um, mm. through being able to go to the gym, through playing for a sports team is actually really beneficial and helps you through that process. So it's almost, it kind of sounds like at the minute sport isn't the barrier, it's actually getting ready for
1: sport. It's it's so difficult for me to hear that you have to give up what you Mm, like doing to be able to do other stuff. And we hear it time and time again where schools are cutting physical activity, cutting this because they've got to get English and maths results high and and everything else. And it's so disappointing when um, we know there are so many benefits to just even going for a walk, there's just, however many stats or whatever else there is out there, it's obviously beneficial to be doing physical activity alongside studying and working and whatever else. Um, So that I think is is a real challenge to hear actually, but we know that there's there's so many benefits to mental health, physical health, the kind of um, social integration side of things, particularly for trans people, getting healthy potentially, pre-surgery if that's the route they're going, recovery afterwards, being able to be physically active with a group of people if you, are, if you have a trans-only or trans-specific session or LGBT-specific sport um, yeah. can, be, can be really important. And I know several stories from a, from a grassroots perspective where uh, LGBT plus people being able to access that specific space for them has has nothing short of saved their lives mm. because of where they've been with other things. Um, so I find the need that uh, that you've had to give that up is, um, is the worst case scenario.
4: Mm. I mean, we did come swimming with us. Yeah, I did. So um, I have to give credit to Beth Harris, who I used to work with, because she was absolutely instrumental in making this happen. Um, he worked with me on the project, but we approached some swimming pools in Leicester and said, can we come? once every couple of months at a time, bring a load of kids with us and have the whole space to ourselves. Can we come and look at the facilities? And one of the older young people who would have been about your age now, he's mm. now you know, in his mid-20s, but well not mid-20s, early twenties. Um, he came with us to look at the space and they had like um what's it, is it called like family change? No yeah. changing village. So they had a changing village. So you it wasn't gendered at all. Yeah. Everyone had private cubicles. calls. Um, they had blinds on, on the windows between the swimming pool and the reception area. Um, they had two lifeguards on. There was, a, it was like nine o'clock on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. It was so on. Like I'd get home from work, have something to eat, chill out for a bit for the evening and then head back out to go swimming with like <laughs> eight, nine, ten yeah. of the young people that we worked with. Yeah. And although um, I know because some of the young people said, you know, there was still quite a lot of dysphoria yeah. around, around coming along. And but
3: binding as well. And binding, yeah. It's expensive to buy binders. My binders are sort of 30, 40 quid each, not including shipping. And then obviously when you're swimming, you've got to sort of wear one that's either like a size up or a proper swimming one because otherwise they get too tight and they're painful. Okay. You're meant to do that. I don't you are meant to I'm meant to it, yeah.
4: stuff around binding safety it's really yeah. important and but how great was it yeah like,
3: it was amazing
4: I sat back I sat on the edge of the pool with Beck and I looked at them like them all mm. just you know playing with those are they noodles yeah like, jumping in and out like splashing each other like just having quite a carefree time mm.
3: having like mini competitions as well yeah. that element of like com- uh, competitive like, like races yeah. and yeah.
4: stuff and it was just an hour Fun. Fun. Mm-hmm. And it ca- like, like James said, it cannot be underestimated. And actually the pool were really accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a council pool, so it wasn't particularly expensive. I think they even gave us a discount on top of their cheaper rate mm-hmm. and stuff, which was amazing for yeah. them. Um, but it, I mean, that, um, how many, you know, you see it on the television programmes or on YouTube videos where trans and environmental are like, People are like, the first thing I'm going to do after I have top surgery is go swimming.
1: Before I, so I've been at this job at Sportingham for about a year and a half, and before that I worked for Swim England for four years, um, where I led on um, equality and diversity stuff in participation, and we did a number of trans projects, and it seems to be, I can't quite get my head around it, but it, um, swimming seems to be such a popular sport for trans people, and it's probably, well it, it is, the most difficult thing for people for trans people um, to to yeah. do because of the exposure and the need around privacy and changing and everything else that comes with it and but I think it's that feeling of um, being able to feel totally exposed and kind of comfortable or maybe a lot more comfortable yeah. than you have been before. It's like the ultimate last kind of barrier to get across, and the feeling that the water being in the water comes with is is really positive and is really powerful. Um, so we've yeah we've done a we've done a lot of projects particularly around swimming and we work with an amazing group in London called tags um who do some great stuff um and yeah, I just find it really interesting, but there's stuff within that around what we kind of talk about in our guidance, but again that is around just kind of this generic inclusion good practice, and just providing a great customer service as you would do if you had a Muslim women's only session as you would if you had a disability specific session certain customers have certain needs um, i don't want to keep talking about customers but certain school children certain people have yeah. needs that you would cater for in various ways that you're doing already this is just a replication of understanding yeah. what certain people need uh, to support them to have the best time possible
4: yeah so i mean we've got an idea there of kind of like a worst case scenario in, in terms of p being cut for a young person that identifies as trans because essentially the school just doesn't know how to work it and obviously moving forward from that but you know if you're in that scenario don't cut the PE, don't put, put the sport out of their life have that conversation with that young person however they identify and, and find that way to make sure they're included but I mean in terms of the generic landscape you know what does that look like at the minute, how are we looking in terms of LGBT plus community being involved in sport in both school and the community and I guess that idea that uh, do we think that the landscape now recognises inclusion as, as including minorities as well? Because I wonder whether inclusion for a time has been very much around sort of disability. Is it now being viewed wider, do we think? Uh,
1: I think that's a good point. I think inclusion has historically been a, a big focus on disability, but I think we are changing and I think people are, are starting to realise that this stuff around inclusion is what, what I've kind of mentioned already about that. Just providing the best experience for everyone, just making sure that everything you provide is inclusive for a representative population around you. Um, yeah. I quite often use the phrase, if you're providing something that you're not sure is inclusive or not, have a walk up your local high street and look around and think, is this representative in terms of what we're providing? Yeah. If not, um, can you do something about that? Um I heard a phrase recently which I keep finding myself repeating all the time in that if you're not round the table, you're on the menu. So if you're essentially if you are sitting in a room trying to provide a service for four people yeah. on their behalf, which sometimes can be great, if they're not round the table helping you with that decision making process, it might not be as, as best practice as it could be. So it goes back to that point we've already mentioned around asking people things mm. trying to co-create wherever possible yeah. use students in conversation um, but the, the caveat I would say with that is if you do have um, LGBT plus people within the school who might want to try and get involved in things don't necessarily expect everybody to be an advocate or a model or want to be under the spotlight some people just want to get on
4: with their lives yeah and I mean I guess that's the really key bit isn't it is that you know this might be from your experience though is that you know if you're if you go out and play community sport now, do you you know, do you want to be under that spotlight? Do you want do you want that coach to be like, well, look what we're doing, or do you just want to play?
3: I think for me, I'd just I'd rather be able to just get on with my life and just be able to play the sport that I want to. Yeah. Obviously just is a big thing. Binding is definitely a big thing. Um more recently I've been struggling with my binding because it's become in um sort of painful and Um, restrictive of my breathing quite a bit so I've not been able to do as much as I'd like to be able to Um, but after surgery um, I just want to be able to get on with my life that's why I'm doing it now instead of waiting until I'm 18 Mm -hmm. Um, is I can just get on with my life, I can go to work I don't have to worry about binding, I don't have to explain to people sort of why I do certain things a bit differently to how most people would if they if they didn't have to bind. Um and well the jobs I do are quite physically taxing and I've noticed a lot recently I do have to take breaks and I do have to sort of stop and and think about my breathing and if I'm doing too much. Yeah. And sport is another one that contributes to that a lot because I do enjoy running but I can't do it Mm. because I can't breathe
4: So I guess the the idea is is that when you feel that your body is ready to go and participate again, you just want to participate, just as any person would, whether they were gay, straight, part of the community, not part of the community, um, you know, a person of colour, not a person of colour, you just want to be able to turn up and and play. Can I just, I think on that note though, I think that's why allies are so important, because I know... Like, role models are so important, I think, just generally, whether that is someone within your, like, community club or, you know, in your school, like having, you know, I I mean, I think back to my school experience, you know, as a, wasn't a woman then, but a lesbian woman now, you know, I am pretty certain that one of my sports teachers was a gay woman, lesbian woman. But I didn't know that, Mm -hmm. and all I ever wanted to do was go and talk to her about you know, being gay and was everything going to be okay because yeah. I felt really lonely, but not, obviously it wasn't necessarily, I mean Section 28 was around as well, so, you know, probably wasn't, even if she is or was, you know, an lesbian woman, it wasn't necessarily right for me to know that. Yeah. I and mean, I think Roman was really important, but actually, you know, I've heard people talk about negative experiences as an LGBT plus person and being like, I'm normally quite, you know, proud of who I am, but in that moment, I didn't know what to say. Mm. But then someone else I was working with or someone else I was with at the time said, actually, you can't say that, that's not okay, or whatever was happening, and kind of had their back. And I think even in my line of work, you know, I'm so proud to do what I do and support those drugs for LGBT plus inclusion, but sometimes there'll be experiences in sport or not, where I think, in that split second, I just think, I haven't got the energy to fight this. I don't know what to say. And so having either you know, allies, people who will have your back or just generally be inclusive in situations where there a prejudice or, or whatever, I think is so, those allies, whoever they are for whichever demographic or identity yeah. is is invaluable, really, I think. Around that conversation of kind of LGBT plus and, and allies seems to be something that's talked about a lot more nowadays. Um, it might be something that people that are listening to this are kind of going, Ally? What do you mean about an ally? What we what does the community mean, or you know, what does that conversation mean by an ally? What does that look like? Who is that person?
3: I think for me an ally is sort of someone that is there to understand, to try and um help with anything that you're you're going through, doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily part of a community, but is still there to try and understand and learn a bit more. I've experienced really, really good allies. I've experienced not-so-brilliant allies that say they're allies but don't necessarily do the right thing. They they might sit there and sort of say, oh yeah, like I really support you and everything like that and I'd never do this and I'd never do that, but then they'd sort of introduce me as their trans friend. And that I don't really like that. Mm. I'm not your trans friend. I'm just your friend. Yeah. And that really annoyed me because it might not be safe for me in that situation to be outed as trans. Yeah. Some people aren't okay with it. And as much as yes, I'm um, seventeen. I'm quite muscular in everything. I'm only small. I'm only like five foot four. I'm not gonna like kick someone in the face. We
2: hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Even from a point of view. <laughs> yeah even from a
3: protection point of view i'm I'm not very um aggressive I can't fight, I'm not very good at it um so for me, it's not necessarily safe all the time yeah. to be out of dust trans and i I don't like that when people do that so for me, an ally is someone that's going to be there but understand your safety and why your safety is important, yeah.
1: I think we're seeing a real mix of that across um, across the sport and leisure sector. I think there's um, there's a big balance and a fine line between um, kind of uh, confusion and a willingness to want to learn and a want to understand and then a want to support further than that. Um, so for me, I think the the, the positive stuff is around showing a willingness to want to learn but then hopefully taking that a step further by then trying to to generate some support around that Um, and then those who are maybe not so willing to learn maybe um, are comfortable kind of being a bit confused or following what they read in the paper on social media Mm -hmm. sometimes without trying to understand fully what some of that stuff is about Um, but we know that it's it's complicated, it can be, um, if you really get into the, the minutiae, but actually if you just take it from that standpoint of supporting someone in the best way possible, um, that's, I'm always trying to, to find myself simplifying stuff all the time and not having to worry about all the complexities because it's, as much as we say things like it's going to be different for every individual, guess what, people are individuals. so you're doing stuff like that anyway for everybody. You remember different people's names, you remember different people's pronouns already. So it doesn't that kind of stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Um but I think we're we're in that place where um I for me I feel like the sport leisure sector is is really wanting to be inclusive um and wanting to do the right thing. Um but it's just how that works in practice that can be the tricky bit and sometimes people just taking a little bit of leap of faith sometimes and just having a go and seeing what happens Yeah. Um, as opposed to not doing anything because you're worried about it, which is it's kind of the worst thing you can do.
4: Yeah, I think sometimes it's that, um, and we see it in all walks of life, aside from even these conversations, that risk of failure, that there's so much now that we're sort of scared of failing because of, of whatever reason that might be. but. That is what you essentially learn from, that's what education is, that's why we play sport, that's why we do physical activity because you learn from your failures. If you go out and you lose a game 10 mil, you don't then, you know, if you then just quit that sport completely for the rest of your life, then failure, you, you know, you've not learned from that. You
1: just. I, I guarantee making some changes to support one person is going to support some other people as yeah. well along the way. Um, I guess our most inclusive standpoint is that you need to be able to provide something for everybody which is not going to hurt you at all in the long run. We know the population is becoming more diverse, we know that society is changing, this stuff may be new now but it's not going to be in the future and all we're talking about is providing um, a more inclusive service, uh, education, whatever you want to insert in those brackets, it's being inclusive. uh, I guess there is a little bit of balancing that against everybody's needs. That this, I think this is the bit that everyone's a bit hesitant about and is, is talking about, well, what if we do that? What about this? And how does that affect other people? Um, and you just need to, um, to to play that out a little bit, I guess. Speak to people, be brave in terms of trying to make some changes and being supportive. But I go back to that point that, that doing nothing is, is the worst thing you can do a lot of the time.
4: Yeah, and I guess actually, you know, if somebody's listening to this now, they they've taken a first step maybe they have shown an interest whether they're part of the community or not um you can still be an ally you can and that first step is to just go and educate yourself a little bit so i mean i guess on that aside from obviously the, the first point to go and educate yourself is talk go and find some people that are either like you or not like you and um, probably more so the latter and go and have a conversation with them and and listen I mean, if if that's maybe too big of a first step, and we can't underestimate how scary that can be for people. And um, you know, we we we're now in a a culture quite possibly where there's a lot of you know you walk down the street and it's make people communicating via their phones. You know, there's a lot of technology involved, so that kind of interaction in public spaces maybe isn't there. Where's that next step? So where do they go to find the information to to start to educate themselves? Um, I think I mean there's so much out there and that can be both a wonderful thing, you yeah. know, having talked to worked with LGBT plus people who are, you know, even from my generation, like in their early thirties through, you know, into their seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. older older people than me, you know, they were like, We didn't have the internet. There wasn't the internet, there wasn't dial up broadband, you know, there was nothing. And that's not to take away from, you know, maybe of isolation and loneliness that LGBT plus young people may feel now. But actually, there is so much online. Yeah. Use it, it's an amazing resource. One thing I would say is some of the stuff you see on the internet may not be factually correct yeah. and also might not be applicable to everybody. And I think sometimes, you know, even before this, we were talking about whether we listened to podcasts or not, and what podcasts we listened to, yeah. and I said you know, I listen to Desert Island Discs and I haven't really branched out because there's so much choice. Mm-hmm. So actually, trying to seek out, you know, to be LGBT plus inclusive, be, a, be an ally, you know, f- using information online might seem daunting. There might be a lot. But I mean, if you look at some of the work that Stonewall are doing, yeah. you know, sport in particular, you know, Jamie said, there's there's loads of stuff coming out whenever this goes out, it might have come out already, you know, find resources on, like, legitimate websites, so Stonewall, Mermaids, Gendered Intelligence, Sport England, you know, you know, possibly even the Youth Sport Trust, there will be things out there yeah. that, even if they don't give you all the answers to your questions, they mm. might be a, a top tips sheet about pronouns. Mm. It might be a resources, sh- like, PDF that you can download that tells you loads more resources that are available, yeah. where... I don't want to say legitimate people because that sounds bad to other people, but you know, organisations or professionals that are working in this in this sort of area Mm -hmm. who actually know kind of where the the better resources or the better information kind of is available.
2: Yeah,
1: Um, yeah, I think there's um, Lisa's already listed um, a few organisations there. So we work very closely with Pride Sports and Gendered Intelligence. Pride Sports are an, an LGBTY charity who uh, very much focus on grassroots inclusion, um, they do a lot of work around young children, um, uh, young people and children, why can't I think of what I'm trying to say? <laughs> you got it. Young people and adults basically, yeah. <laughs> um, as well as uh, Gendered Intelligence who are a trans-pacific organisation who again both uh, work with young people and adults. Um, and they are the organisation that we're doing most of the work with around the best practice that we're developing. Um, so I would say start probably there as, as a good point if it's related specifically to sport physical activity, although there will be some stuff that's generic across the board. Yeah. But I would still come back to this point around just talking to real people. Um, if there are people around you to have a conversation with, that's far better than trying to scare yourself with stuff you see online or on the Mm. front of the Daily Mail or on Twitter Um, it's much better to just have a chat with people if they are willing to Um, and with the caveat then obviously of remembering that everybody is individual wow scary this fundamental thing right Um, Mm. and that everybody's going to have a a real diverse experience in terms of if they're trans maybe their own transition if they're non-binary in terms of their identity whatever your intersections might be across uh, being lesbian gay bisexual or if you have an ethic uh, from an ethic background, or you have a faith, or whatever, everybody's gonna have a really interesting and um, different experience. But there's nothing that's gonna bring it to life more than chatting to real people, um, and also having a go at trying to put some of this stuff in practice. That's where you're gonna learn the most.
4: I guess uh, you yeah, know, I'm sort of sitting here thinking that it, conversation is the way forward. That's that's essentially that you know that's been a real. Um, a real kind of thread throughout this conversation. Go and talk to people, and but I think you, I mean you mentioned at least about that isolation piece and that uh, you know humans are tribal and we tend to surround our pe- ourselves with people that are like us. So if you are a straight person, you may not actually necessarily know anybody that is gay or in the community or or trans. I and mean, I don't know if this is how you feel. I mean, are you, do you know uh, you know in your general circle of friends, do you? Um surrounded by people that are that are trans or, or in the LGBT community or is it what does your what does your community look like?
3: Um for me at college I'm sort of surrounded by a bit of everyone really. Um our college is very, very diverse. Yeah. Um for my friendship group it's a bit of everyone really. I do have trans friends, I do have um bisexual friends, I have lesbian friends, gay friends, everything like that. Um, all of my friends are a little bit different. Um we all have something in common, whether it's our subjects, our sexuality, our gender, anything like that. But I think um in school um I tried to surround myself as much as I could with um the LGBT plus community because they were people that I could understand and could identify with mm-hmm. a bit more. But there just wasn't really anyone that was out, because mm. they saw how I was treated and then kind of weren't very comfortable with coming out at that point.
2: Mm.
3: Or there was people that were trying to find their identity and sort of came out, and then because they might have been a bit more popular than I was, because I wasn't popular, people would have supported them, but then they had been like, oh maybe I'm not, kind of thing. Okay. So they were just trying to try and work, it, work it out. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of people come to me, so it was like, oh, well, I kind of think I'm this, um, but I, I, I don't know, at which point I was like, that's okay, I'll bring you under my wing, <laughs> and then they'd kind of like fly off again, and I was like, okay, bye then.
1: Um, but also, the young trans person might not know what it's like to be a young gay person as well, so yeah. don't like, yeah. yeah. This is this whole intersection thing. Yeah. Don't expect people to be knowledgeable about yeah. everything. Yeah.
4: Or, and dare I say this against my own LGBT plus family, sometimes people are pre, like, discriminate against people under the like, umbrella. You know, I've seen it before where, <laughs> like, I've seen it. I've seen people who are, you know, maybe bisexual. Talking in a really discriminatory way about trans people or even trans people talking in quite a harsh dismissive way about non-binary people and I think That's where You know people kind of think oh no LGBT class, you know, we're all in it together and things are so much better than it than it was before Are they anyway, but even within the community you know, there are going to be people, there are going to be conflicts. Yes, there might be people that you're not going to be best friends with because you have, apart from maybe your sexuality or gender or being part of the spectrum, you have nothing else in common. Yeah. Um But you might have that sense of belonging because you have that label or that identity. But, um, yeah, I guess, like sometimes actually, for me, I think some of my best friends are, um, you know, LGBT plus in some way, but actually some of my best friends aren't, but they are, they respect who I am, they accept who I am, and when we ever hear anything, you know, they'll bring me up and I'll say, Lise, something happened, you know, or they're a teacher at school, they'll say, something happened today. And um, and I thought, that's not on. So I, you know, I said this, and I had your call. And I, you know, not my call, I wasn't there. But they ha- they're they not LGBT plus themselves. And I think yeah. that's the thing about LGBT plus people, I think, sometimes do surround themselves with other LGBT plus people because there is that sense, understanding of shared experience, security. Actually, where that's where allies come back in again, yeah. you know, other people in your life that, I have no idea about your experience, but try and understand and respect you and accept you and have your back. And I think that's also where, you know, that sense of isolation and, and um, being a bit of a hate this phrase a bit of an outcast, can, can that can be make a difference to that, I think. And I guess it's that piece, isn't it, that as, as an ally, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a teacher or you're a coach or you're playing any sort of part in sport, physical activity, PE, it feels like there's a, you know, you need to go and put yourself in places where there are people that aren't like you or like, you know, exactly as you said you know if you're looking around your school and your offer doesn't reflect the faces that you're seeing, the people that you're seeing, the cultures that you're feeling, um, then maybe your offer isn't right and actually, you know, I mean that's almost slightly aside from this but it it is that bigger picture isn't it, that to be all inclusive you need to be recognising who's there and, and talking to them and actually if if at this moment in time, in your community club or your, or your PE lessons or your school, you don't have anybody that is out, that doesn't mean that isn't going to happen. That's
1: what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something like, guess what? Like, you're surrounded by gays. They're everywhere. <laughs> like, um, we may be at a point where there's probably um, it's probably more familiar to see LGB people um spread around to a point, there's obviously differences within that. Um, I think we may not be at a point where um, there are trans people everywhere, because I think we tend to use something like 1% of the population. Um, but we're certainly at a point now, particularly younger people, where there are swathes of people questioning their gender identity. So they may not necessarily be identifying as trans, but there's certainly people challenging what it means to be a man, to be a woman, to be something different. Um, there, There is a lot of question at the moment around traditional gender roles and how that's represented in TV shows and toys and yeah. lots of other things. Um, in very practical things like school uniforms and PE kits and uh, what sports people are allowed to play depending on their gender identity, because why the hell does that matter? If somebody yeah. wants to play a sport, why would you not support them to try and do that? Yeah. Um, So I would say that this is definitely not something that's going to be going away. Um, And again, it just for me, it fundamentally comes back to this point about just being inclusive genuinely and experimenting stuff with stuff like PE kits and school uniforms is going to benefit other people. There may be lots of girls who don't want to wear skirts every day. There may be boys who want to wear shorts in the summer. Um, There's all sorts of different stuff. There's loads of cool projects I know about where... um, Schools have supported uh, their students to develop their own kits and uniforms to be whatever they want to be. Um, we have quite a lot of conversations with leisure providers all the time around trying to relax their rules around sport wear because sometimes it just it just doesn't matter what yeah. people are wearing because you're a bit worried about health and safety, but actually it's okay in practice. Um, so that side of stuff. Uh, I think there's some really good examples where stuff like that's happening. I think Youth Sport Trust will be able to help uh, link up schools where there's lots of good work going on if if potentially some schools are a bit newer to this. I know that the Equality Human Rights Commission are soon to be releasing some schools guidance around trans inclusion that might be out, as we say, by the time this comes out. Um, So have a look at that online. But there's there's loads of stuff across different sectors and areas where... um, People are, are developing
4: lots of stuff in this area. Yeah. I think as well, just don't underestimate um, the power of your positive intention. You know, if you want to become more inclusive, or you're not really sure how inclusive you are, and you want to start taking those steps, you know, of all the young people that I, I've ever worked with, they've always said to me, you now I d- my, you know, my, my favourite teaching is Jennifer's there, I remember that, uh, they come to you and they said that, and I'm heartbroken about it. And, um, and I said, Oh, you know, where do you think that comes from? And they were like, Oh, no, it was just an accident. They're like, yeah, you know, it was hot. it was upsetting for me. And they also apologized for five whole minutes in front of everyone. And really, they should have just apologized and then moved on. And yeah. So I was a bit embarrassed. But they were like, Actually, you know, I could see the reason they were upset about it and apologized so much is because they care about me.
2: Yeah,
4: And actually, like, you're not always going to get it right, but trying to, like, they can't. Thing. I mean, I know I'm just one person, this is my opinion, but there can't be anything wrong with positive intention and in trying to do the right thing. Like, it just cannot be underest- underestimated.
1: What we talk about in terms of our good practice recommendations around um, customer service again is, is making that effort. And I think Stone will use the phrase quite a lot as long as it's coming through kind eyes. Um, if you make a mistake, it's fine. You're going to yeah. make mistakes all the time. You get people's names wrong all the no, time. Um, I used to coach quite well, I don't so much anymore, and I was useless with names. <laughs> Teachers, I'm sure, every year get names wrong all the time. It's it's the same thing. It doesn't need to be a massive deal. Yeah. If you make a mistake, apologise, move on, but don't repeatedly keep making a mistake. Make an effort to learn and move on. Yeah. Um, but I think most people will understand pretty quickly what kind of a place you're coming from, where that mistake is, is happening, um, and it can be, uh, hopefully... Um, uh sort of changed um pretty quickly, yeah,
4: it feels like there's some really strong um kind of messages coming from this in in number one being going to talk to people that aren't the same as you, or you know if if you identify under that umbrella of lgbt plus fantastic you know if you're working in a store or in a community club, you know maybe quite possibly start the conversation if you feel comfortable enough um but then also you know, be prepared to listen and actually, you know, be prepared for all change because it, it is, you know, that it is it's happening now and it's coming. And if you educate yourself a little bit about it and, and use some of the websites that we've mentioned that then it's not as scary as as it can be made out to be. I mean, like we said, social media, the media, various different stats, it can and you know that people will be saying, you know, I don't get it, I don't understand what's going on. If you don't understand something, you generally read about it, listen about it, go and talk about it. Those feel like some really strong messages that are coming through and actually just having a look at around and going, you know are we inclusive is that you know is that what where we're at right now I mean before we sign this off, is there anything that that you know each one of you or or as a group you'd like to do as a a call to action or a where to go next or what's the next step even? hard to sum that up in a
3: sentence,
4: mm. isn't it, really? Um, I mean, I feel like you, you should start that off, Leo, no oh. pressure. <laughs> because, you know, like, as a young person, like, what do you think, What maybe one or two things that your, like, a sports like community club or, you know, your school's hockey team, cricket team, say, could have done for you or for any LGBT plus person that was maybe?
3: I think, um, as it's been said, like, just talk to the person that you have on your team that might not be in the, the normal people that you have in your team. Um, for me, my cricket team, obviously, they um, I played for an all-women's team. Um, I grew up with them. My mum played from when she was probably 16 years old. So when I was born, they'd take care of me and I grew up with them all. So, for me, as soon as I could start playing in that team, it was brilliant. And as much as it was a women's team, even when I came out as trans, they were brilliant with it, really. Um, Mm -hmm. Just before I started testosterone, we said to them the season before we had a discussion with all of the teams in the league, and sort of said, is this okay? Um, He's not got he's not on hormones or anything like that so he's not got any sort of advantage like mm-hmm. um, is it okay for him to still play because obviously he's keeps transitioning um, but this is a women's team and there was two people out of all of the teams there that had a problem with it and even they weren't it was just more of a Oh, this isn't what we normally sort of deal with kind of thing. It wasn't a this is wrong.
2: Yeah.
1: It was a this is different. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This for this to a T at the moment. Yeah. There's a lot of um, well this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. So um and, and I think that comes back to the point I was making around where where things are coming from. Mm-hmm. If people are willing to kind of educate and learn a little bit more, yeah. um and not be scared about well, this is the way we've always done it, so we're always gonna do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, try and review some of that stuff
4: I think my my kind of top tips really are two I think there's one about you know taking steps and actions to become a more LGBT plus inclusive space or you might already be but you're not sure so double checking that um, you know whether that and being person centred with someone who's in a specific situation fine but I also think that it's about developing confidence within your sports leaders, your coaches, your teaching staff around challenging prejudice or challenging attitudes. Because I think especially like when I'm doing kind of consultancy work and stuff like that, people can again with positive intentions, like tick boxing sounds like a loaded phrase, but they're ticking all the boxes and they're putting this in place, they're putting this in place. But if the if there is some negative attitude or the dare I say it without being doomy gloomy, the negative there is a negative attitude within all of your community, whatever that looks like. You know, then you need to be confident enough to step up and challenge some of that. And you may not think that if you're a school, for example, you might not think that you have any LGBT plus young people on your sports team in a specific class. But you might do. Mm -hmm. You might not. And actually, when someone says, oh, that's so gay or, you know, tranny this and gay boy that and, you know, oh, she's such a lesbian something wrong with actually the phrasing, really, is how it's said. But yeah. being able to challenge some of that and talk about why that's not okay, yeah. well, then, you know, as there might be an LGBT student in the room that's not, you know, out, whether that's the phrase you want to use, you will sit back and think, wow, look at that. Someone's fighting yeah. my corner. Because actually, I've always said this to professionals as well, you don't necessarily know the power that you have. You might be the first person who's ever Challenged a, uh, an attitude like that or or someone here that oh actually being gay you know, as an umbrella term or whatever is okay mm. and that the power of that to give someone you know confidence and things like that just can't be underestimated so I think it's about putting some of those practices in place but also being able to in the right areas challenge some of the you know attitudes that you might hear that yeah. you might hear
1: I, I wouldn't say it was even about so it's definitely relevant to you might not know if there's any other LGBT students there but you might have uh, staff members. Yeah. You might have external cleaners coming in. You might have officials coming into a game who you don't know about. It's about creating this inclusive environment for everyone, and yeah. I think that is fundamentally that is the most important thing. I think for me is bearing in mind that good experience thing and just creating um, this inclusive environment for everybody, and by doing it for any particular audience is not going to harm others. Yeah. It's going to make the experience better for everybody. Yeah. Whether you provide uh, integrated um, experiences or more separate experiences by going through that um, learning experience, you're, everybody's going to benefit at some point. So I would always have that in your frame of mind, whatever the the, the, the type of um, demographic, I guess you're trying to be more inclusive of. Um, yes, you can go out and educate yourself and all this stuff, but actually... Just get on with it and do some real practical stuff. Just yeah. start experimenting, exploring different ways of doing things. Challenge the norms of things that have always been done this way, mm-hmm. um, because you don't know who could potentially benefit from that, and it could be everybody.
4: Yeah, and I guess that's the other key bit, isn't it? Is actually don't do nothing, <laughs> do I, something, yeah. whatever that might be in it, and and like I think you've all said, you know, it's well intentioned. Um, it may not work the first time, but it, at some point you'll find the right thing and you'll find the right way. And actually, then you're moving towards that inclusive, inclusive space, inclusive sport, everyone accessing.
1: I think that's a great point. I think we found it um, in some of the work that we're trying to do. We're waiting for certain parts to do stuff before we do things. But actually, just taking a bit of leadership, a bit of responsibility, even if you don't think there are people around you who might benefit from it at the moment. Yeah. Um, Get on with it if you can. Push it up the agenda a little bit more. Yeah. Who would not want to be creating more inclusive spaces for people? That should be high on your agenda anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely that point around doing nothing or putting stuff off or not having an opinion often tends to be the worst thing you can do. Yeah.
4: And actually, without being too... Um, i use used Dooney Gloomy a lot in my line of work. Um, I'm not a pessimistic person, I promise. But actually, if you look at the latest hate crime and hate incident stats that have come out from equalities of it. I mean in, in a year um hate crime against trans people's gone up 37%. In a year against essentially minority sexualities um it's gone up twenty five in just in one year. And yes, okay, maybe that was already happening and more people are just reporting it, maybe. But and that that might be true. I, I'm not sure. Um you know as a as a lesbian woman I've experienced more hate incidents and, and just generic hate in the street that I have since I was, you know, probably my late teens and mm-hmm. I'm now maybe 32. So, actually, being an inclusive space, whether that is in a PE lesson at school, in your, you know, local town's cricket club, mm-hmm. and actually even young people or even staff or volunteers or whoever are, who are hearing positive messages about whatever group of people that is that they might not be hearing elsewhere, again, that is so unbelievably powerful and I think for our own community but you know it you know, sounds a bit grand doesn't it but as a nation you know we should be doing more to be inclusive of everyone because kindness is the most important thing surely yeah and I think you know the the thread that also runs throughout all of this is, is the power of sport and physical activity and PE and and you know it's been mentioned through this that it, the benefits of social integration mental health physical health that There is a tool out there that, that, you know, alluding to those statistics that actually if we can just get people playing together, it doesn't have to be a uniformed, organised sport. It could just be something down the park where people are getting together. It, it, good can only really come from it. So, you know, let's build those inclusive spaces and, and hopefully people that are listening to this today are going to walk away and, and either become an ally or, or refresh what they're doing or just have a look at the faces that they're seeing around them and, and hopefully, have have a positive impact. And then, um, guys, thank you so much for your time today. It, we've greatly appreciated it. If there's any um, sort of notes or, or links to stats and things like that, we'll put them into the screen notes so that people that are listening can go and find these further links. And um and hopefully, at some point in the future as well, we'll do a follow up and, and see, you know, maybe where we're at in sort of six months or a year's time and, and we we'll see progress. So, thank you to each and everyone. We really appreciate it. Thank
2: you, Yeah, You're
0: welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you like, share and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Acast or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. Our episodes will be coming your way every fortnight. And if you'd like to find out more about the Youth Sport Trust, please head over to our website, which you can find at www.youthsporttrust.org. For now, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. We'd love for you to join our YST podcast club. By being a part of our club, you'll receive a monthly newsletter, which offers advanced access to upcoming podcasts, recommendations on other podcasts you might like to try, and extra bonus recordings, and additional content that we're not sharing with anyone else. If you'd like to join, simply go to www.youthsporttrust.org forward slash YST podcasts and complete the short podcast club form. The link's also in the description of this podcast. Happy listening!